Every neighborhood has a heartbeat, a place that represents the cultural epicenter of the area at its core. In Boston's historic North End, that place is Boston Barber and Tattoo Company. Boston Barber and Tattoo Company has become home to A-list Boston celebrities like Gordon Hayward, Milan Lucic, Brad Marchand, and Aaron Baines. Boston Barber and Tattoo is more than just Boston's most well-known corner barbershop. It's also a tourist attraction for the hundreds and thousands of people that visit the North End throughout the year. Boston Barber and Tattoo, a North End landmark that represents the cultural epicenter of the area at its core, located at 113 Salem Street. Today is Sunday, March 31st, 2018, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics, episode 308, featuring the Boston Sports Journals and now newly acquired CLNS Media's Brian Robb is brought to you in part by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com backslash Celtics beat. Use the promo code CLNS50. That's the number five zero for a 50% bonus at your first deposit. And welcome into another edition of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman. He'll be back next week. He just got back from Disney World. Had a great time. I hope Adam, uh, he works like a crazy man. He works his ass off. Hope he enjoyed uh, his vacation. We'll be back next week. Make sure, though, in the meantime, you subscribe to this show on iTunes or on Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe to CLNS Media on our YouTube page, there's 20,000 of you that subscribe. I cannot believe that number considering what it was when I first started here. And since we've gotten bigger, we've acquired more people, acquired more podcasts. I mean, we hired Scott Souza this year. Uh, we just keep getting bigger and keep on growing. And with that, we bring on one of the members of our newest podcast. You guys know him very well. Uh, I, I would assume way back to when Adam and, and, and Brian, you guys were on 98.5 The Sports Hub uh, with Celtics at 7 on Saturdays. You've grown into the Boston Sports Journal. You're all over the place. Welcome into the show, Brian Rob, Brian, congratulations. Welcome to the uh, CLNS Media team, my friend. Thanks, Jack. I'm no, excited to be aboard. And, uh, yeah, you guys have – have a ton of good podcasts on there already, so we're happy to be another one to join the bunch. So give give us the audience, you know, a little bit of a synopsis of what you guys are trying to accomplish with your podcast. It's been renamed; it's no longer the Big Three, correct? Yes. Yeah, so our new name is the Winning Plays Podcast, and so we it's myself, uh, Michael Pina, and Rich Levine, and we've been um, we were formerly known as the Big Three Podcast, but um, we just you know changed the name with. Uh, the uh the changing network obviously and yeah so we are uh a weekly podcast usually we with our new role here we'll probably try to do two a week and yeah we're kind of just breaking down everything celtics from you know current issues in terms of the team to big picture issues our latest podcast kind of went through scenarios in depth of hey what happens what do the celtics do if uh, Kyrie Irving actually ends up leaving this summer, like what are the Celtics options at that point? So if you like the Celtics, if you like to get, you know, going to deep dives with just informative and fun analysis, um, that's what we're trying to do. And we hope people will check us out. 
Oh, no doubt about it. We, we're, we're getting a Monopoly CLNS on every Celtics podcast basically available. Um, so if, there's a good chance if you have a Celtics podcast right now, we're going to someday probably acquire you and, and bring you on board and just enhance our Celtics coverage. Again, you guys – and your work over with the Boston Sports Journal is amazing. You guys do a great job over there, um, and I appreciate that, all the hard work you guys do. Um, speaking of scenarios, you know, I like to always start off my podcast with a kind of a funny bit, funny scenario. Uh, my buddy Sam Sheehan um, put out a, an interesting hypothetical. And I'll ask you this question just kind of as a funny one to start it off. But it actually has some interesting logic behind it. Should the Celtics have tanked to get to the sixth seed so they could play the Sixers in the first round and, and, and eliminate them right, right off the bat? <laughs> um, no. No, they shouldn't have. But that is a fun scenario to think about. Um, yeah, the Sixers, I, I have no – the Celtics have the Sixers numbers. They still do, uh, in my estimation, after all these trades that the Sixers made uh, in the last couple of months. But with that said, uh, I would much rather, I would still rather face the Pacers if you're the Celtics in a playoff series right now over the Sixers, um, just strictly based on talent level. And that obviously, you know, for as for as tough as a regular season as it's been for the Celtics, um, this is, you know, maybe not the best case scenario to play at Indiana, but pretty close to, in my estimation, in terms of matching up talent wise, um, and just not, you know, really, you know, if the Celtics do what they're supposed to do, they should not have trouble in the series. Indy's going to play hard, but um, the Celtics obviously match up pretty well there. Full disclosure: recording this right after the Indianapolis Pacers game, the Celtics won that one, one fourteen, one twelve. Kyrie with a, a game-winning layup floater at the end uh, with point five on the clock to win it. So, full disclosure: recording right after that. And I got to tell you, I am so impressed with Indiana just because of how well and how hard they play, even without Oladipo on the floor. Um, they they make they are a really good defensive team when they want to lock in. Nate McMillan has done a spectacular job with them. Miles Turner has become this defensive monster uh, who can stretch the floor from three point range. Uh, they have a bunch of individual guys that can defend. You know, look at Thad Young as an older guy, but he definitely knows how to defend. Darren Collison's a good guy on that end. Um, they have guys that can, that can create. They have Tyree Devins off the bench. I love Bogdanovich like more than most people do in the NBA. He can make a lot of big shots. They're a problem, but I'm with you on that. You know, Indiana, when it comes down to it, and they need to go bucket for bucket with Kyrie at the end of the game, like who's who's getting the ball in that scenario? We know on the other side with Philly, you kind of know that, you know, it's probably going to go through Embiid. They have a guy in, in, in Jimmy Butler that can do it. They have a guy in Tobias Harris that can do it. You know, Ben Simmons, pending how much of a head of steam he gets, can be a guy at the end of the game that can maybe take a shot. But they have at least guys that can go toe-to-toe, step-for-step with Kyrie at the end of the game. To your point, Brian, I don't know if Indiana has that guy. When it comes down to the playoffs, and we've seen how different playoff basketball is, if you don't have a guy that can match, you know, some, you know, uh, a superstar level score like Kyrie is, like you're going to have a hard time winning games because Boston's going to be able to lock in on that and force you to do what they want you to do. At the end of the game, you know, that two man game between Horford and, and Kyrie, so simple yet once again supremely effective. Yeah, no question about it. The Pacers. Uh, played really well in that game. Like they, like Bogdanovich, you mentioned he's he's crafty as hell. He can find a shot, you know, from any point. And the Celtics really gonna have to. I feel like he's the engine to their offense, and that's you know going to be Marcus Smart's assignment for a lot of the series. Just to make sure he's slowed down. But you know, in the backcourt, I don't think you know Collison's you know a fine defender, but he is smaller. And then guys like 
Tyreek Evans and Wesley Matthews are kind of past their prime. So there's there's a lot of guys to attack down there. But yeah, so and the, so the big problem for the Celtics is obviously going to be, you know, in the front court and you know dealing with Turner, dealing with Sabonis, who's just a you know just a rock solid player there in terms of finishing plays and um, you know rebounding, passing, etc. So if the now the Celtics are going big, if Baines can stay healthy, if they can stay healthy in that front court between him and Horford, that's going to be the key there because um, that's what you're going to need to kind of keep the, the Pacers at bay. I feel like. I know you can't hear this because you're at the game itself, but like the amount of the amount of drooling that happens both via Tommy and Mike over Sabonis is unbelievable. Like they talk every every time he has like a uh, you know uh, you know a, a pass side of the high post, you know, to somebody cutting back door, they just like they completely fawn over him, and then the conversation immediately shifts to his dad, and they're like, "Man, his dad was like yep. maybe one of the best big passers passers of all time." Obviously, translates to his son, and I love Demonis. Like Demonis and Gonzaga was such a fun player to watch. Uh, he, he does, I was, I, he might not be elite, elite at anything, but he does almost everything good enough that it doesn't even matter. He's such a, a plug and play type guy. And I, and I, and again, I like, the problem with Indiana is I have to root against them potentially in the series. And I like a lot of the guys they have. Like I, Sabonis, who comes off the bench, just is a great player pretty much for every single team in the NBA. Everybody can use a guy like that. And luckily for the Celtics, they have two bigs. You, know, you talk about bigs in, in passing, like, Horford is phenomenal, one of the best, you know, big passers in the NBA. But Baines, I don't think it's enough credit for how well he moves the ball. His IQ is spectacular for a guy that looks like just a brute and a guy that's going to just clog up the paint and be a rim protector and, and, you know, be a force on both ends of, of the rebounding margin. He is actually surprisingly very intelligent as an offensive player, moves the ball pretty quickly for a guy that's six foot ten and makes Dwight Howard look very small. Yeah, no question about that. So, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see, you know, especially the the Celtics bench unit defensively has not been great all year, um, and we we've seen obviously Brad Stevens make the transition now to, he, you know, in that trying to keep one of Horford or Baines on the floor at all times essentially uh, when those guys are playing together, um, so it's gonna be, you know, you still need to get sides of their the Celtics are at their best when those guys are playing together. It's kind of kind of unfortunate from Brad Stevens' standpoint, that he does not have another big on the bench that he trusts right now defensively since, you know, you know Tice used to be that guy, but he obviously has had a, a tough year uh, with fouling and just, you know, you know, handling bigger guys, which obviously the Pacers have here. And then you have Robert Williams, who is a rookie and, you know, I don't think can be fully trusted in terms of playoff minutes at this point. And then you have Yabuselli, and then you have Greg Monroe on a 10-day contract. So it's uh, – it's a lot of pressure on Baines and Orford to kind of, you know, steady the ship here. But um, I would imagine that both of those guys are going to be up to the task. I'm not going to lie. I really enjoyed the Aaron Baines, Al Horford pairing to start games. And I think a lot of people have been waiting for Brad to do some sort of lineup change to try and get a different uh, energy from this team to try and make this team click a little bit better. Because I think we've all been frustrated various points throughout the entire season of the inconsistency of this team. And it's, you know, all of us are like, no, you you know, should start Hayward or start Brown or do this and do that. And the problem has been Baines has been hurt 
so much throughout this entire season, whether it's an ankle or a back or whatever. Like, he's always come up with some injury throughout the entire season and really hasn't been able to get any rhythm um, on either end of the floor. He's back. He's what looks like fully healthy now. Hopefully, knock on wood as I knock on every piece of wood around me right now. Um, he's going to be healthy for the rest of the playoffs. It, you're starting to see kind of what of a difference he makes and how and how big of a, of a role he has on this team. And now that they're going double big to start, and they sub out, you know, Horford, I think first for Morris. I think they did that last night against Indiana, um, to try, you know, just to try and spread out the spacing, spread out the staggering, um, and spread out the scoring loads. I think that's been probably one of the biggest parts of the last couple of days is finding a, a unit that really works together. I love the fact that they use two bigs. If you talk about using two bigs together, I know it's the small sample size. I think Tom Westerholm had this the other day. The the Horford Robert Williams combo when they're on the floor at the same time is like staggeringly good on the defensive side of the floor. Like they're like a plus like forty something or a plus sixty something, which is outrageous. I think Boston they have all these small you know small sample size lineups that 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 have done really well together. And if you I know it's hard to trust a rookie in playoff time, but even even Robert Williams has talked about how easier his job is. When Al's on the floor with him to kind of help him through the rotations and help him, you know, place him where he needs to be on the defensive side of the floor. I think the big rotation going forward is going to be interesting, but having Baines start with Horford, I think is a move that not only helps their starting unit, but helps space out that bench unit a little bit more and staggerize a little bit better so that everybody's fresh come the end of the game when they can kind of figure out who they want to go to. I think Brad said last night, like, I have an idea who's in my starting lineup. Kyrie's the only guy that I know that's going to be there, and everything's going to kind of be in flux throughout the rest of the playoffs. But I, I, I kind of like this group. I like Kyrie with Smart, Tatum, Baines, and Horford. It seems like there's five guys in the four that really understand their role and understand how Kyrie's kind of the linchpin that makes everything go. Yeah, there's, I mean, this is, like, that duo worked very well all last year. And I know it was kind of, it went, not that Brad Stevens forgot about it, but he was focused on smaller lineups pretty much for the majority of the year. And he talked about, again, like, you know, Baines has been hurt a lot, but, you know, Baines and Horford played together for close to 40 games this year. Yet that duo only played, I think, 90 minutes, 95 minutes before last night, which is just a a crazy low number given their success last year. But clearly, um, Stevens, understandably so, like wanted to see, you know, wanted to give guys time to mesh, wanted to give the, you know, he found a rhythm with the more smart starting lineup for a while, but obviously that clearly faded in the last two months here after their hot streak in November. But sometimes it's like the simple things that work. And sometimes, and clearly, Brad Stevens had to find, you know, really reevaluate in terms of where this team was at defensively after the last two months of really struggling. And clearly the one thing he knows that works is, okay, we're really good when Baines and Horford are on the floor. And so he he got back to it. And I, again, like there's going to be a lot of tinkering going on for the playoffs. There's going to be teams that are going to try to play Baines off the floor, you know, for as good as they were defensively. On Friday night at times, there were also, you know, Thad Young missed a wide-open layup down the stretch because Baines couldn't get to him. You know, Baines got there late on a on a switch. So, but the the pros firmly outweighed the cons at that point. And to your point about the Robert Williams-Al Horford situation, I would love to see more of that in the final six regular season games just to give them a chance to give it a look. Even Tice Horford, you know, mix that in 
when appropriate, which I feel like it's going to happen. I think there's going to be, you know, they went all out in that Friday night game against Pacers because that's a game they needed to have in order to, you know, keep their chances at the fourth season play. But guys are going to be resting more down the stretch. There'll be more experimentation there. But clearly they found something that, you know, this is the way we're going to play when we have the opportunity to play like this. And as far as, you know, guys being able to find their roles, having more of Baines makes, I feel like, not only is good defensively, but it allows more space for Kyrie Irving to operate because he sets such great screens and he's boxing guys out in the paint to kind of clear lanes there as well. So you put all that together, just having guy that plays their role that isn't looking for their own shot is something that this team, you know, could obviously use more of at times on offense. And clearly, you know, Baines fills that bill, fits that bill. And, you know, we saw again, a season high 33 minutes on, on Friday night. And he looked in pretty good shape for all of it. So that's pretty encouraging as well coming off the ankle injury. I judge people based on their opinion of Aaron Baines. I've said this a couple of times throughout the season. He is so instrumental to what they want to do. He's such a smart player. Um, you know, obviously playing for Greg Popovich when he was younger and learning from the guys that were in that organization at that time uh, has clearly had a huge impact on him. And I hope that, you know, a guy like Robert Williams is, you know, taking Al's advice and Aaron Baines' advice and, and running with it because I think you couldn't ask for two better big guys uh, to learn from in terms of just basketball IQ on the floor. Those guys are great. Quick break from Celtic Speed to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. And with that, we actually have David Mason, who is the sportsbook brand manager for BetOnline.ag. Make sure if you're looking to score some money late in the season, right, or getting ready for playoff time, you go to clnsmedia.com backslash Celtics Beat and use that promo code CLNS50. That's five zero at checkout when you, you, do, you do your uh, first deposit for a 50% bonus. It's 50% bonus on that deposit. And, you know, David, we're a Celtics podcast by nature, right? That's what we are, so we focus on. Celtics right now to win the Eastern Conference plus 350. Right now, I'm not going to lie, David, that's a pretty, that's an awful bet. All right. I don't think the C's are capable of, of winning the Eastern Conference right now. They've been up and down all season long. They're, they're Actually, they're making me extremely angry at this point with the way they've been playing. Uh, they're annoying. They they seem to be a lot of drama on and off the court. They don't seem to have it together. They're not clicking at the right time of year. Plus 350. I think you're throwing money away, Dave. Yeah, those, those numbers are for Celtics, both uh, Eastern Conference and to win it all. Uh, they're a little shorter than they should, probably should be. And that, that has to do with because we're exposed so much on them. People have been betting them all year. So, I mean, we're, we have a big red number on both the Eastern Conference and to win it all. So the odds are a little shorter. You know, you got to take a little bit of risk management uh, into account and try to lower that red number as much as possible just in case. So when you see those future odds, a lot of those times they might be a little shorter or a little longer than they should be based on – how the book is exposed or not exposed on that particular team. Right. And you look at them to win the NBA championship right now, plus 1,400, same as Philly, right? Denver behind them at plus 1,600, uh, and Toronto slightly ahead of them at plus 1,200. I think if you're going to do any one of those, I think Toronto makes the most sense if you're going to bet the Eastern Conference and you're looking at a, a real value play. But, again, if you're looking at Boston plus 350 or, or, or plus 1,400 to win it all, I think you're insane. I think you must be a, a just the biggest Celtics fan of all time, and you can't quite seem to to factor in how poorly this team is playing. 
Um, David, would you expect the odds to change for the end of the year for Boston? Right. I mean, they can change just based on what the heck hat, what they do. You know, if they turn it around, you know, like you said, they're losing everything. They're not covering. Um, so that number's just low based on our high exposure on them. But, you know, if they keep losing, it'll go down. Now, will it go down maybe as much as it should be? Probably not, just because we're so exposed on them. So if they should be plus 800, we might keep them at plus 600, plus 650 or something like that, just because uh, we do have that big red number on them. Or, or if they do start putting it together and living up to their potential that everybody thought in the beginning of the season, then, then their their odds could shorten. You know, if they just put on a nice winning streak here and go into the playoffs, um, looking good, they, they could go down to plus 300, plus 325. Again, that, that that big red exposure, they're by far our biggest exposure out of any of these teams in the NBA. So we're handling them a little differently than we, we normally would if we weren't exposed or just had a small exposure on them. Now, I, don't, I haven't been looking at the odds in the past for Golden State, but I have to imagine, you know, minus 200 to win the NBA title might be the best odds they've had in a while just because of how dominant they've been over this, this stretch run. I mean, when they acquired Durant, I'm assuming their odds were astronomical in terms of, you know, you'd have to probably bet a lot of money just to make a serious profit. But I feel like minus 200 for Golden State is probably as good as it gets. Am I am I off on that, Dave? Um, Let me think. I mean, they've been down to like minus 175, minus 225. They're fluctuating. Even when they – even last year um, during the regular season, you know, they get a little bit longer once the playoffs start. But – uh. Now they they they've been in that minus 175, minus 200, minus 225 up to minus 250 kind of range. Hasn't got on over minus 250. I don't think the last couple of years during the regular season, however. Yeah, I, I I just feel like you know they're almost a lock at this point just to make the NBA Finals, like to win the Western Conference at minus 300. And I don't really see a team in the West so they're going to challenge them like Houston. With James Harden and Chris Paul and PJ Tucker, like they did it almost last year, and this team I think is is just not as good. Like they added Kenneth Fareed, and they've had some good energy guys, but I don't think in a seven game series they can do it. Denver, I don't think is as talented. I think they're too far away. The only team I think, if you're looking for a team that can challenge the Golden State Warriors, this is extremely great value too. The Oklahoma City Thunder at plus eighteen hundred. I know they haven't been playing well at all at the end of the year, but they still have Paul George. They still have Russell Westbrook. They still play great defense. If George is hitting shots, that's the only team, Dave, I, I can see making it out of the Western Conference and plus 1,800 to roll the dice like that. I think that's not bad value at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree. They got the talent there. Um, you know, got to take those longer odds, too. Take a couple. You got you to bet a couple teams there with the long odds. So you might as well pick a, pick a couple like that and uh, plus 1,800 for the Thunder. Get on Paul George and Westbrook and then ride it out. See what happens. I can't blame you. Yeah. And then out east, the Giannis machine, plus 175 to win. Toronto, plus 250. I think those are the only two teams. If you're going to, again, if you want to maybe, you know, cover your losses from stuff at the beginning of the year, maybe you bet some, maybe you bet the Celtics beginning of the year. And so this is going to be the team that comes out of the east. Not looking great. Good way to hedge your bet. Drop a little bit on Milwaukee, a little bit on Toronto. I think you'll be feeling fine coming out of the east. Philly, as most Celtics fans, uh, no, they just don't have it. Like I just, I, if Boston plays them, I think Boston would beat them pretty handily, even if they were hurt. Meanwhile, Toronto has the Kawhi factor, and Milwaukee has the the Giannis factor. If you were, a, if you were to go either way, Dave, which way would you go? Oh boy, uh, Bucks, I think. 
I, I don't know, Raptors scare me when it gets to the postseason. I've been rooting for them right. the last few years. I like a couple of other players. But they got Leonard on the team now, so it's a different dynamic, of course. Um, you know, that's a really interesting conference. I, I like following that one. Like you said, the Western Conference is a little more boring. It's, it's you know, the war is against, against everybody. But this Eastern Conference, it's a four-horse race, and it's you got four good teams there. Well, Celtics aren't playing that good now, but uh, but they got the talent to turn it around. Well, you know, that's the thing with the NBA. Once again, that second season, the playoffs, any, some of these teams just rise to the top and the pretenders go away. But uh, I'll be rooting for the Sixers. That's where I'm from. <laughs> but I oh. just want to avoid your Celtics at all at all go. costs. So I'm looking. I'm looking at that race. I want. I want those teams to avoid the four or five matchups. So. Are you one? Are you one of those guys that's like Philly won that one game, so now we have confidence going oh, yeah. to a match? Come on oh, now, absolutely, man, man. I had a big cheesesteak to celebrate, and uh, well, wait, know. wait. From where though? Or did you go Pats, Geno's, or Tony Luke's? Uh, Jim's man. Jim's on South Street. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that the best one? Like, see, I always ask anybody from Philly, I'm like, what's your favorite one? And I get a different answer every time. Is yeah, there well, is, is there a you, standard answer? No. I mean, you can go to a, a common mom-pa shop, and you'll get a better cheesesteak in all three. My my, uh, my The thing with Pat's and Geno's is, I mean, they make so much, and it's so crowded, they let it sitting out there, so it kind of gets cold and gristly. So, you know, they're just they're just making one after another after another. They're not making it to order. The, the thing is, they, they actually have a Geno's now in the Philadelphia airport, and that Geno's is better than the Geno's in South Philly because that the Geno's in the airport, they're making it to order. So it's a lot more fresh, a lot more hot, a lot more steamy, a lot more delicious. That's a tip for your listeners. That's it. That's, that's, that's free advice right there, baby. David Mason of BetOnline.ag giving you guys not only tips on winners but tips on cheesesteak in Philadelphia, which is actually, I think, a little bit more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes in some of these odds, Dave. Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm starving now. Again, that's David Mason. He's a sportsbook brand manager for betonline.ag. Remember, folks, it's tournament season right now. NBA playoffs coming up. You have baseball futures, NFL futures as well. Find all of it under one roof at betonline.ag, and you can get a sweet little gift from us here at CLNS. Go to clnsmedia.com backslash Beat. And use the promo code CLNS50, that's 5-0. At checkout, get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Make some money today. Have some fun. Be safe out there. And uh, Dave, good talking to you. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you, sir. Um, I want to move on quickly to something that's been bothering me about the Celtics team because like you know you look at last year's playoff team and I, I said this all the time last year at the playoffs. I mean, if, if Marcus Morris at any point wants to show up and shoot much better than he currently is, uh be a good go a long way. Morris was red hot to start of the season. I mean white hot. He was the second best player of the team. He was unbelievable and has tapered off considerably since then and it's been kind of a struggle to get him back in the rhythm as we finish up the season. Jason Tatum has been you know, a guy that a lot of people expected a lot out of and, and just hasn't quite gotten to where he needs to be. Now, last night from three-point range, finally got a couple in a row to fall. I think he was three for three uh, from three-point range against the Pacers um, in that game. They get 11 points, and it was just nice to see him get clean, open looks where he looked comfortable, looked in rhythm shooting, uh, and, and was able to find the bottom of the net a couple of times. Going forward, I think I know the answer to this. I think I know your answer to this, but I'm curious to see what your rationale is. Who's more important of the Celtics' offense in the playoffs, Jason Tatum or Marcus Morris? Oh, definitely Tatum. I mean, just strictly to the fact, I think he's going to be on the floor more when it matters, particularly. Um, Morris is there for clearly the, you know, you want him 
in rhythm for the catch and shoot stuff. He's one of the, you know, elite shooters on this team when he has it going from when he gets open looks from downtown. But you don't want the the offense to go through him too much, obviously, since he can rely on the, the mid-range game a little bit too much. And his ability to just get to the basket isn't quite there at this age with his, you know, foot speed and control. Tatum has a lot more promise in that area. We saw, you know, that last postseason. We've seen it in, you know, spurts this season. And, you know, everyone remembers, like, the, the dunk on LeBron James in Game 7. Like, plays like that is what separates Tatum and what makes, okay, he can shoot and he can do that. So, if, you know, the Celtics have been, you know, looking kind of for a reliable third option right now, um, or even a second option on some nights in terms of, you know, they obviously have a lot of guys that can score in double digits, but, you know, it's it's kind of who's who in terms of who's going to, you know, give, you know, the 15 to 20 points a night that so there's not too much pressure on Kyrie and so there aren't scoring lulls um, when he goes off the floor. And so I think Tatum is kind of the best guy to, to fit that bill. It was great. It was encouraging to see him, you know, shake out of a three-point shooting funk on Friday night going through through there. And, and you saw his impact on the final play of the game when Kyrie Irving hit the game winner. He was in the corner. Um, Fad Young was guarding him, and Young kind of came off him for a little bit, but was, but was afraid to leave him entirely, and that kept Kyrie's driving lane open for the layup at the end of the game. So that kind of gravity that Tatum has, the same kind of gravity that you know Horford has in the last play, that kind of shows you who opponents respect on the floor, and Tatum is clearly that guy. And you know if if he's making shots in this postseason, then that's that's when the Celtics become a, a much more dangerous team. I'm going to make the argument for Morris, even though I agree with you. I think, obviously, Tatum's <laughs> shot creation is is huge, and his ability to knock down open three-point shots at the starting lineup is going to be massive going forward. The reason why you can make the argument for Morris, and, I, again, I wouldn't, but you, I, you could, is sure. you know when we've gone to the bench and when Kyrie's on the floor, the, the, the second unit offense, you know, staggers. And part of the reason why it's been a little bit better recently is because Jalen Brown is, you know, remembering how to play basketball again, or, or at least remembering how to be aggressive again and attack the basket again. I love the way Jalen's playing right now. He's just, just driving towards the hoop all the time and then, and, and, and in great rhythm from three point range. But a lot of times that second unit can go stale. And unfortunately, you know, Gordon has been playing a lot better on both ends of the floor. Um, and I think he's best suited as a, like a guy that actually facilitates as more of like their point guard or a player point forward and everything else kind of mold around what Hayward wants to do. But I think there is, there's a case to be made that Morris's shot creation late in the shot clock, you know, against second unit teams or, you know, the team second units, whether it's going to be Indiana or Milwaukee or Toronto or Philly is going to be massive going forward because this team gets so stagnant when Kyrie's not on the floor. And part of that is actually Morris's fault. Okay. Let's be honest with that. Part of the reason why that offense goes so stagnant is because Rozier and Morris don't do a great job moving the basketball around and getting, making, making sure everybody gets a touch, which is why I think Hayward is important with that lineup. When it comes to their bench scoring, I think Morris, over maybe everybody else just because he's a vet. Like, I'm not sure. I mean, we saw Jalen last year step up into a, a huge role uh, for the Celtics in the playoffs as a scorer. I mean, against Milwaukee, you can make the argument he was the best player on the floor for that, uh, for them. You can do that or Al Horford. You can go either way. Uh, but Jalen was so brilliant against Milwaukee, was, you know, banged up against, you know, Philadelphia and was really good, um, against the Cavs. So maybe it's, it's Jalen, but I needed to, somebody 
Brian on the bench has to be consistent as a scoring threat. And whether it's going to be Jalen or or Morris or Hayward or you know Gulp Rozier, um, <laughs> I'm, 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 somebody has to do yeah, it. That's all in your breath. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And, and with with everybody available, like I, I I guess maybe I have the most confidence in Jalen, but I would feel maybe a little more comfortable if it were Morris, just because of how young Jalen is. But that being said, Jalen's played out of his mind the past couple of weeks, and I'm really starting to enjoy this new Jalen Brown, who's just ultra-aggressive, attacks the rim, finishes through contact, absorbs contact, and it's three-point shots. It's been a really nice revelation. Yeah, I mean, out of all your those guys you mentioned, though, it's going to be, I think, the guy in, in that group that is going to get the most opportunities. It might be largely dependent on their defense to keep them on the floor because um, – all those guys, whether it's Brown, Tatum, um, Morris, you know, they've all had periodic lapses. And I think Brown has been Brown's been on the whole obviously much better than those other two. But he, you know, he it took a long time for him to kind of work his way back into Brad Stevens' trust for like crunch time minutes. And all those guys have, you know, are prone to making, you know, communication mistakes or just not, you know, picking up guys hard enough off the of screens or transition defensive issues, that stuff continues. So um, Hayward, I think, has the, the edge on that front since he, you know, it's clear that Brad still trusts him and he, his defensive IQ, I think, is generally there in terms of he's usually always in the right spot. If those guys, you know, whoever proves that they can be in the right spots and that they're, you know, making, you know, they're not leaving their teammates hanging out to dry on switches and transition or whatever comes up, those are the guys that are going to get, you know, be on the floor longer, I feel like, in games. And then, again, have a better opportunity to step up as the, uh, you know, the offensive weapon as a second or third option that this team needs. If you had a vote, Brian, what team All-NBA would you vote Kyrie Irving? Poof. I... I took a poll earlier in the year. For, I think I'd go for third, yeah. I think, I mean, I'm torn between second and third team. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say second team. His numbers have been that good. Yeah, I took a poll earlier in the year, and I was just curious to see, you know, how many Celtics homers are out of my timeline or not. Because it, it was during a time where Kyrie was white hot. Some people thought it'd be first team All-NBA. And, you know, you really have to, you know, as some people have put it, I think Simmons puts it this way, you really have to, you have to do something extraordinary to knock the top guys off. Like, for or for in order for Harden and Steph not to be in the first team All NBA, like you have to do something extraordinary. And I don't think Kyrie's done that quite to, to to a degree, but he's been really good. And if I had if I had a vote, I'd probably go. I mean, Dame's been so good, um, and Clay's been really good towards the end of the year. I guess you know somewhere between that second and third team All NBA for Kyrie, I think is exactly where he's going to be. But what you know, he you've seen lately. Why Boston like really needs him? I mean, the shot last night is pretty obvious, but he's been able to. And I like the the aggressiveness he's shown recently. Like I go back to that Philly game in Philly that they lost, and it looked like to me like Kyrie was going to come out and be like, "Look, we're going to win this game on the road." I know we're like a little shorthanded or whatever, but we're going to win this game against Denver. Same thing, you know. This is a big game inside the TD Garden. You know, Jamal Murray scored fifty the last time or whatever, and you know I, he took it a little personally, throwing the ball into the stands. And uh, needed to exact his revenge, even though they lost the game. I thought again, Kyrie came out with great aggressiveness. I've enjoyed how how Kyrie has been trying to at least, at least to me, look like he's trying to get prepped for the playoffs in terms of like this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to be aggressive. You guys need to follow suit. You, you know, and it, what it does to me is it shows me that Kyrie 
sort of trying to take a little more of a leadership role here and say, guys, like we need to step up our play. We only have a handful of games left. This is how it needs to be. Everybody kind of has to readjust a little bit. Trust me, we'll get to where we need to go. And you look at the, the result last night, it's hard to argue that Kyrie is not at least, you know, a guy that's going to really carry the Celtics to, to a, an interesting uh, playoff run here, whether it's an exit in the first round or they go all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not quite, quite sure or anything in between. But I, I, I got to tell you, Brian, for the, I want to say the last like three weeks, Kyrie just noticeably to me looks more aggressive early in games and of course always late. Um, but I'm enjoying his newfound aggressiveness because Boston desperately needs a guy that can do what he can do. Yeah, there's no question about that. I think it's, I want to say it was five of the last six games now um, where he scored 30 or more points, which um, is tongue on that front. It's, it's a situation where the he's putting up a lot of career highs across the board from an offensive standpoint. Um, it was encouraging, again, to see him make, you know, some of the simpler plays in crunch time. I think a lot of time he's gotten himself into trouble at various points when he, you know, relies on the three ball too much or just like tough fadeaway jumper. Sometimes it is that simple as, you know, taking the ball to the hoop. And again, he did that against Philly. That didn't work out well, but it worked out much better against Indy on Friday night. And then sometimes he didn't get the ball at all like against Charlotte, which, you know, when Terry Rozier would take a three and that last, you know, when they were down three in the final minute, that's situations like that hopefully um, don't pop up as much, obviously, as the as the postseason approaches. But the, what I'm looking for most from Kyrie um, down the stretch here, especially against Indiana, if they're going to play Baines more um, at the five, and especially during crunch time, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Kyrie on the defensive end because it was clear that he is going to be targeted, um, whether it's in the pick and roll or sometimes in the post if he if he does some switches. And he held up fairly well um, on Friday night, but that's an area where, you know, he's going to – he's clearly capable of holding his own on defensively when he's really locked in. And it's going to be it's, – it's hard for him because, obviously, there's a lot of pressure on him to, to put in the effort on the offensive end as well because of the onus there. But if he can really, you know, fight his way through picks and, you know, knock him up on plays and, you know, make the – the extra hustle plays that we saw some of on Friday night as well, that is going to, you know, propel this team's defense to a different level because at that point there's really no weak points um, to go after in the starting five. And that will, again, like we know the Southers can put up the points when they need to. It's getting the stops that has been the issue in the the last couple of months. And and that's where, again, Irving taking it to another level will kind of solidify this team's odds of you know making a deep playoff run here. You mentioned uh, that you guys talked a little bit about what happens if Kyrie leaves and what the steps are. Um, I have not listened to that yet, so I'm going to ask you this: Have you considered? Because I was looking into this a little bit because I was I was thinking about you know could Danny Danny doesn't like anything to to, to uh, leave for nothing essentially. He doesn't like to lose assets for nothing. Could, right. If you guys mention a sign and trade possibility with Kyrie getting that extra year, getting something from somebody else like <clears throat> the Knicks uh, potentially with that high draft pick, yeah. So I mean, th- that's a sign trade is always a possibility. The problem with that is if a team has cap room, then I'm not sure you're going to get anything useful out of them right. to do that trade. So that's I mean, it's uh, it's clearly something the Celtics would you know love for that to be to explore if Kyrie tells them, you know, they're going to leave and he maybe, maybe it happens again. If he goes to a place, he wants to go to a place that doesn't have cap room to sign him. 
But if he's going to, you know, the Clippers or the Knicks or somewhere like that, if, he, if that ends up being his decision, then um, it's hard to see any of those teams, um, you know, trading anything of much value to the Celtics when they can just sign Kyrie outright. See, this is why I need you guys. You guys understand the cap way better than I do. There's so much language there that I don't totally get, and I need you guys to reel me in. Because I was thinking, I was like, wow, why wouldn't Danny just do that? That would be the best idea. Because I, I looked at back at that, like Miami, you know, getting LeBron and Bosh and Wade under contract and fighting, figuring out that way right. for that to work. I was like, man, could they find a way to swindle the Knicks to give them yeah. something <laughs> for Kyrie? Because you never know with the Knicks, man. You never know. They might get super desperate. You might be like, hey, we'll give you that. We're going to give Kyrie that extra year. We're going to have him for five years instead of four. Just give us that number two overall pick in the draft so we can take John Morant. Thank you very much and, and go from there. But I guess it's not really going to be a possibility and I should just hang up uh, my, my pipe dream right now at this point. <laughs> I mean, you could get a pick out of them potentially, but you're not getting that pick. That's for sure. That's, uh, that's uh, the one I want, though. I need that. I need after watching John Morant this whole year and then watching him in the tournament. It's just, I, I love that kid so much. He's just a great competitor and a great warrior. And if there's a way potentially for Boston to end up with him, that that would be great. But I will settle for getting Lou Dort like late in the draft in the first round, and, and I'll be totally <laughs> fine with that because that guy's built for one Celtics Twitter and in, in just from a frame and athletic body standpoint, and two, I just like what he does. He's a guy that attacks the rim a whole bunch and finishes through contact, unlike most college players that play right now, for sure. Yeah, no, there's going to be it's going to be really fascinating to see how this the draft plays out. Um, and again, when you know Celtics look like they're going to have three picks here, potentially four. Depending on what happens with Memphis, I don't want to uh, talk Dallas about that. Center. We're not doing so. So, yeah, so Brian, we we need to post it into out. existence. Brian, we need to we need to post the Memphis Grizzlies dropping to like eight or seven into existence, so that pick doesn't convey this year and it gets pushed back for there. Because you know we we need Herbert. We we need the Riffs man to to just because he he gifted us uh, Robert Williams at twenty seven. We have to find a way to get him to also gift us a. A, a Memphis pick that comes in like twenty twenty one or something like that. That way, it's you know the protections are less. It'd be a, an unbelievable coup for Jeff Green. <laughs> I still can't believe that's the real trade, Jeff Green for un- what could be an unprotected first round pick. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Just uh, just that it's gone. <laughs> that Jeff Green does it. The, the shadow of Jeff Green still lingers over the franchise and is is now rewarding the franchise for uh, uh, potentially. And I think obviously that's a that could be a huge trip. Chip in the Anthony Davis negotiations. If that's so, if that doesn't convey this year, and uh, it can be dangled as a an asset uh, this summer or or beyond for sure. All right, Brian, plug your podcast, plug everything you're doing before we get you out of here. Yeah, so definitely again check out the Winning Plays podcast um, with myself, Michael Pina, Rich Levine. Uh, we are new episodes twice a week, generally early in the week, and then on Thursdays as well. So. Give us a subscribe there. And then you can check out my writing at bostonsportsjournal.com. Uh, and you can subscribe there as well. Great, you know, gearing up for obviously huge playoff coverage, draft coverage, and then everything you need to know about the Celtics offseason, what they can and can't do, potential trade scenarios with Anthony Davis. We're going to cover that all in great depth, um, as well as plan B scenarios if, you know, the Davis situation doesn't come through. So, uh, check it out there as well. And, um, yeah, it should be a real fun rest of the season. And thanks for having me on here. Welcome to the team, Brian. Appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.
And that will do it for this edition of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics. First and foremost, want to thank you guys, the incredible audience, before we take off for today. Make sure, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. Subscribe to our CLNS Media YouTube page. Leave us a comment, a rating, a review uh, in our ratings and review section because it actually helps us out a little bit, not only just because you know it gives us constructive criticism on how to get better at these things, but also better for advertisers. I'll just be totally honest about that. That's how it works. Um, also, want to give some shout-outs to Brian Robb, of course. Welcome to the team, Brian, um, and everybody else along with the Winnings Plays, uh, Winning Plays podcast. Also, I want to thank my entire team at CLNS, John. Nick, Larry, of course, Adam is coming back from vacation next week. Adam, you're on, you're up, buddy. Um, today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Again, go to clnsmedia.com backslash Celtics Beat. Use that promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Celtics getting ready for the playoffs. This show also getting ready for the playoffs. Stay tuned for more great episodes. In the meantime, Gino, let's get out of here. Hey, sports fans, I'm Coach Nick of the B-Ball Breakdown podcast on the CLNS Media Network. I break down the NBA from a coach's perspective and have some of the best basketball minds join me weekly to discuss the latest NBA news and what's truly going on on the court. Subscribe to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast wherever you get your podcasts or find us on clnsmedia.com. It's a great conversation. You in?